bombs is fun. And so is WCBN-FM in Ann Arbor. Good evening, and welcome to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Vic Whaley. And I'm Jim Dwyer. And a rare opportunity to do Gray Matters out of the studio. <coughs> Tonight, uh, we're without an engineer, but fortunately, Jim is competently manning the board. And uh, A lot of summer travel, people uh, yeah. on the road. And I don't know whether it's the heat, but boy, it seemed like a kind of a strange week. Uh, I guess I'm going to start off with uh, a minor comment about the LeBron James situation. You're probably uh, not quite in tune with this quite as much as I am just because I grew up in Ohio. Well, it's been extraordinary how uh, much media time this has garnered. I mean, it's like primetime two-hour specials and stuff on... uh... Well, this is amazing. I mean, it says that the the rating, 7.3, was greater, and this according to... uh, uh, Richard uh, Sandemir, a sports columnist in the New York Times, uh, remarking about the decision night uh, shortly uh, thereafter on Saturday, uh, July 10th. He noted that the 7.3 rating was greater than anything ESPN has carried this year except for the Pro Bowl. More people sat on their sofas watching James sit in a chair and talk <laughs> about his decision than watched his last game with the Cavaliers on May 13th. They lost to Boston in Game 6 of the Eastern Conference semifinals that uh, that game had a rating of 7.1. Well, they turned it into a sideshow, and then, of course, the media loves to dig in. The Cleveland, as always, (laughs) the mistake by the lake, blah, 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 the the fumble, the the catch, and they they go through Cleveland sports woes all these many years. And needless to say, uh, they haven't won a major championship in Cleveland since... uh, 1964, when probably the greatest football player of all time, Johnny Unitas, Jim Brown, Jim Brown, uh, who, by the way, the Cleveland Browns are not named for him; they're named for Paul Brown. But anyway, uh, yeah, he was uh, an All-American at uh, Syracuse in football and in lacrosse. Considered one of the greatest lacrosse oh. players of all time. Just a bit of trivia there about Jim Brown. And I'm, you know, I I accept this. This is a business. I'm not one of these guys that thinks uh, you you got to burn his effigy or throw his jersey into the sewer and throw it on a on a you know a fire the way the Nazis burned books. Uh, this is silly. This this is a man who made a personal decision uh, that that obviously he made several years ago in collaboration with these two other athletes that signed with uh, with Miami. And so be it. Uh, that's the way it goes. 
I uh, wanted to give a brain damage award out to the owner of the Cleveland Cavaliers. I understand that he's bitter and angry. He spent a lot of money trying to build the team around LeBron, but to go out and make this statement, I personally guarantee that the Cleveland Cavaliers will win an NBA championship before the self-titled former King wins one is just an amazing statement. And uh, <clears throat> it's sour grapes. Sour grapes, and it rallies, rallies the fans in Cleveland around him, but uh, it's not too likely Cleveland will go downhill from this point on, probably, uh, barring a miracle, even though in losing LeBron James they get two first-round draft picks and two second-round draft picks, and uh, those players could end up someday being very good players, but probably not because those are going to be low players in <clears throat> the draft. That's the way it goes. But, uh, I, I, you know, I, I wanted to give ESPN a brain damage award. I don't think this should have turned into what it turned into. They created the spectacle, and uh, everybody looks bad at the end of the day. It started to take on the uh, appearance of uh, a reality TV show. Yeah. And, and, in fact, that's probably what uh, the shirts at uh, ESPN were thinking is, oh, we there's nothing else going on. You There's know, nothing uh, going on. Ratings are down for the basketball playoffs this it's year. A, it's a hot week. <laughs> it's a hot week. People are parked in front of the TVs. And uh, on one level, celebrity is apparently now in American culture more valued in and of itself than those things which celebrities do to gain celebrity. Yeah. And, of course, you know, James is a, is a fantastic basketball player. I would... Uh, not be going out on a limb to say that he's probably the greatest small forward that's ever played basketball. And he's only 25. And this idea that uh, just because he hasn't won a championship, he's a loser, or uh, all, the, all the claims that are being made are ridiculous. I mean, if this guy had gone to college, he'd be in his third year of the NBA right now if he'd gone to college mm -hmm. for four years. And um, I really can only recall two players in NBA history that won championships with weak supporting casts around them, and that was Bill Walton, uh, the famous deadhead mm -hmm. uh, from the 70s All-American at UCLA, uh, who turned a rather mediocre Portland Trailblazers into a championship team uh, within three years, and Rick Barry uh, won a championship with Golden State with a rather weak supporting cast. But when Magic Johnson went to the Lakers, he had Jabbar there, Michael Cooper, James Worthy, fantastic Hall of Fame players around him. Larry Bird won with McHale and Parrish. Michael Jordan didn't win a championship for many, many years. They had to develop players around him, and he had great players on his team, too. People forget that Bill Cartwright was the number one player taken in the draft. Scottie Pippen, considered one of the top 50 players in NBA history. The Cleveland Cavaliers had a chance to win it this year, but they blew it. They could have avoided playing Boston in the second round, and the bottom line was Boston had more options to go to on offense. And uh, quite frankly, uh, I, I thought in, in game six when the score was 78-74, to 74, Boston and LeBron James drove to the hoop, and Paul Pierce is grabbing him, tackling him, and nothing's being called. Uh, you can see why Cleveland fans are so frustrated. Uh, because I saw it a couple years ago when the uh, Indians went up on the Red Sox 3-1, to one, and the strike zone magically changed <laughs> in favor of the Red Sox. And uh, Cleveland couldn't, uh, Cleveland's pitchers couldn't get a strike called to save their life. So I don't believe in the curse. Um, it is frustrating. Of course, I have schizophrenic uh, 
loyalties oh. because I attended the U of M. So I root for the Wolverines and I root for the Red Wings. <laughs> but uh, hang in there, Cleveland. It's not the end of the world. And unfortunately, it is a business, a big business and a disgusting business. And left out of all the discussion about all this hoopla about LeBron James is the fact that uh, five or six teams had to borrow $400 million this past year to meet payroll. Some of these sports franchises are in trouble. And one of the great scandals of the uh, uh, Bush uh, winning the presidency in 2000 was that Al Gore should have brought up the issue of corporate welfare and how George Bush uh, took uh, the, the taxpayers in Texas for a ride to uh, personally gain uh, on uh, his uh, limited partnership connection with the Texas Rangers. A team, by the way, that's also now currently supposedly in bankruptcy with the owner uh, in big trouble, who paid out that enormous salary to Alex Rodriguez several years ago. So be it. Uh, whether LeBron James will win a championship in Miami is anybody's guess. Um, it'll probably happen. But uh, just remember, basketball is a team game. And no individual, you know, Will Chamberlain was always criticized for not winning enough championships and it's just it's a game and uh unfortunately the the the, the bad side of uh, big business uh, has intruded into many of the games that we love and uh it's interesting by the way that the uh, uh American Ghana uh, World Cup game outdrew uh the NBA finals and the World Series in that terms of television ratings well, that shows you where the growth of sports programs are and perhaps the economic uh, situation in America is now finally to the point where in, we see here locally that uh, sports, school sports programs are severely cut. They're going to be moving to a pay-to-play here in Ann Arbor. Oh, yeah, in the high schools. Yeah, at the high school level. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, things like hockey or expensive sports, footballs and, you know, equipment-intensive sport. Soccer is a very cheap sport, and so if the ratings are high for a U.S.-Ghana soccer game, to me that says a lot of young people are less interested in basketball and football and hockey than perhaps they are in soccer. Yeah, and uh, to LeBron James's credit, he did soak this for what it's worth. He did uh, give the money that he got in the advertising, gave it to charity, uh, gave it to the Boys and Girls Clubs of Cleveland, Akron, Miami, and I believe... Some of the richest kids in America, Greenwich, Connecticut, where the event was staged. Oh, well, there's no, no business like show business. Indeed. Well, the pressure will be on for uh, those guys down in Miami to you be sure. <laughs> well, speaking of pressure, uh, there's a little bit of pressure on in Kandahar, too. Uh, and we can probably talk about that. But speaking sort of stay economic for a little bit here. Uh, a recent article uh, in the Financial Times uh, by Nicole Bullock and Helen Thomas. I don't know if it's the Helen Thomas, who, of course, has uh, been in the news lately after decades of uh, writing the news, um, about the U.S. Uh, seeking foreign partners for infrastructure investments. Uh, they write, U.S. antipathy to foreign investment and in its infrastructure threatens to deprive the country of much-needed capital at a time when state and local governments are struggling with rising deficits. Uh, so says Felix Rohayton, the famed Lazard banker. 
And uh, within the uh, further text of this article, the American Society of Civil Engineers has estimated $2 trillion of investment is needed in the next five years to repair and upgrade infrastructure. Uh, of course, local listeners know all about the bridge uh, on Stadium there uh, at State Street. The bridge to nowhere? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Washtenaw County's own bridge of nowhere, bridge of nothing. It's just sort of a forgotten... It sits there. <laughs> uh, looking more and more like a litter box. Uh, as... I think they're still debating what to do with that thing, but they got to do something. They got to do something, and uh, the article is really about uh, foreign... Uh, investment firms that seek uh, investment opportunities and of course as states and local governments are forced to uh, slash funding uh, they start to look at well what can we sell off and there's been some attempts in Chicago for example uh, to uh, change the city's ownership of the Midway Airport and have foreign ownership uh, a Spanish uh, firm uh, had attempted to contract to do some uh, upgrade work on the Pennsylvania Turnpike uh, but uh, legislators in, in Pennsylvania thought, no, we don't want foreign investment in the turnpike. And so since there is no money coming for that in the state budget, it continues to atrophy. Yeah, and, and there, other another salient example of this is this uh, incredible delay and dispute about the, the second bridge to Canada um, where this billionaire Detroiter, yeah. uh, through cash donations to the state Republican Party, uh, are obstructing legislation to go forward on building a new bridge. It's it's uh, absolute insanity. Uh, Canada is willing to put up the money to get this done. It's our biggest trading partner, and, and this is a major uh, conduit for goods back and forth. Let's move forward. But yeah. the United States is, is in this bizarre quandary of uh, the Republicans think they're going to gain big victories in the upcoming elections, and their strategy, of course, is stalling everything and obstructing everything and uh, I, I you know once again we'll give a brain damage award to the uh, republican party for obstructing the continuation of unemployment benefits this is just outrageous while they have no trouble funding um further appropriations for the wars in afghanistan and iraq and of course to obama's credit he is winding down uh, the iraq situation slowly too slowly in my opinion but slowly but surely um, and uh, when Petraeus appears before Congress and says, I've taken over to win, I just uh, shudder. I'm like, what on earth is the United States ever going to win in Afghanistan? It's, uh, it's just not a situation. It's not a football game. It's, it's not a basketball. It's the wrong term. Yeah, it's the wrong term. It's just you're setting yourself up for failure by even declaring... Um, the situation in Afghanistan is a situation where we're going to win something. Very complex. Um, Petraeus, I think, is uh, you know intellectually a fairly brilliant man, but the bottom line is the United States will have to leave Afghanistan at some point, like the Russians and the British before them. <laughs> Just a question of how much money we want to spend. And then, of course, we get a class—excuse <coughs> me—a a classic example of another uh, boondoggle uh, involving the United States uh, priorities. Uh, they, they have an interesting uh, new report out about uh, the amount of plutonium buried at the uh, Hanford Nuclear Reservation in Washington State is, mm. quote, 
three times what the federal government previously reported. Um, by the way, uh, the half-life on plutonium, put this in your pipe and smoke it, 24,000 years. In other words... Before it becomes inert. Yeah, well, that's no, that's what that's its half life. That's when it half of it decays. Okay. <laughs> now, if you can imagine that, I mean, what the ice age was fifteen thousand years ago. Uh, by the way, one of the most interesting stories of the week, um, to go off on a on a very quick tangent, was this discovery in in uh, Britain of flint tools, more than eight hundred thousand years old, uh, found near Norfolk, uh, England, uh, showing that. Uh, Humans uh, dwelled in the British Isles um, many, many, many years ago. <laughs> Talk about cavemen. But it was, what's interesting about this is they were able to survive in this uh, colder climate mm-hmm. where they previously speculated that only people lived uh, in warm, warmer climes near the equator. Very interesting story uh, showing the uh, flint tools that were used by early humans. But uh, the half-life of uh, plutonium, um, 24,000 years. Incredible. And uh, left out of this article, of course, is the total cost uh, to clean up this, uh, this terrible uh, situation. Uh, they note in the article, by the way, that plutonium was used in the Nagasaki bombing of uh, 1945. Um, the uh, Hiroshima bombing, by the way, was a uranium bomb. Mm-hmm. But plutonium was uh, first manufactured as part of the Manhattan Project. And omitted from the article, of course, is the fact that the United States spent $8.8 trillion building nuclear weapons during the Cold War. For what? (laughs) Well, and the fact that... You wonder why we're, you know, have these budget problems. Right. That's where the money went. It's uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's in this uh, incredible... I mean, this country... Let's let's face it. It was run by insane people, and continues to be run by people that are close to insane. <laughs> Scary. Well, don't forget the uh, legacy of uh, criminality. Yeah. Uh, of course, I'm, I'm speaking rhetorically. Clearly, you're not going to forget that. How can we forget it? Because we've known for decades that this facility was essentially a toxic waste yeah. dump. Um, and uh, and plutonium, by the way, at Hanford was uh, that was produced uh, uh, during uh, World War II was that pl- in Hanford was used in the bomb. So it's crazy. Well, uh, the old saying "you get what you pay for" uh, typically means just that. But in this particular context, uh, it raises questions because what do we get when we pay for weapon systems? Yeah, military uh, adventurism abroad. Uh, we get precious little, but uh, heavier costs uh, to come as uh, the devastation of uh, toxic environments and uh, just an utterly disjointed uh, foreign policy that has uh, left America probably more exposed and uh, overextended than yeah. it's ever been before. And it's interesting, by the way, and I, I don't remember uh, where this article appeared, but I did hear a report about this, that Barney Frank... Uh, excuse me, who's chairman of the uh, House Banking Committee, uh, working on the financial reform uh, legislation that's still uh, not quite finished. 
uh, due to Republican obstructionism, <laughs> protecting those Wall Street bankers, uh, keeping uh, America safe, uh, the bankers safe anyway. But uh, both he and Ron Paul have actually written a new article uh, claiming that the United States does have to close down military bases abroad. Barney Frank openly on National Public Radio questioning why we have uh, military troops in Okinawa, Germany. Right. <laughs> and these, and, and I think we at have- At great cite, expense to the U.S. taxpayer. At tremendous expense. And uh, this is- The Philippines. It, it just, it, it, I mean, you know, the, the fact that the United States has something like- Still, like 1,500 bases scattered around the globe in 140 countries is just mind-boggling to me. So, uh, you know, needs to be addressed. If we're yeah. going to look at cutting budgets, which seems to be the new uh, <coughs> obsession of the, uh, the GOP, uh, they, they don't want to extend unemployment benefits. That costs too much money. Right. Um, well, if uh, high school kids who want to play football are going to have to do pay-for-play for a couple of years, maybe next time it's the military's turn to take a hit, and do we really need bases at all in the U.K.? Yeah. And, for example. Maybe the military should have some bake sales. That's, that's the old that's uh, the bumper old sticker. <laughs> bumper sticker says... It's incredible. And, of course, we, we saw the legacy of the Cold War just this past week with all of the hoopla about the spy. Uh, yes. <laughs> that was, uh, to me, most amusing just because I've been, uh, oddly enough, reading a book the last uh, several weeks called Spies. Um, let's see if I can find the piece of paper. I seem to have dropped it. Yeah. One, it's, one disadvantage of doing this out of the studio is... <clears throat> We don't have these tables to spread our articles out. Yeah, Spies, The Rise and Fall of the KGB in America by John Earl Haynes, Harvey Clare, and Alexander Vasiliev. Uh, very interesting book. Haynes and Clare are part of a, uh, what I would call a, a sort of right-wing disinformation operation here in the United States about uh, the Cold War spies. Uh, there were spies. There's no question about it. There were people passing information to uh, members of the Communist Party in the United States that they didn't know was going to the Soviet Union. Um, the, America got real spies back, and what we gave them were these sleeper spies mm -hmm. that uh, Whitaker Chambers was such an expert on. Um, Whitaker Chambers, of course, the man with uh, 14 aliases and all sorts of secrets in his uh, strange background. Uh, probably, uh, I think it will emerge someday that he, according to one Soviet uh, spy, uh, was working for Germany all along. And was probably a Trotskyite, which would explain why his uh, interjection into the Alger Hiss case was so interesting. Uh, one of these gentlemen was actually interviewed on... Uh, in the media about these uh, sleeper spies. And, of course, this... Uh, brings out, you know, the, the fascinating uh, sort of fictional ideas that we have about spies, the Jean Le Carre uh, mm -hmm. style stuff. Uh, the spy that came in from the cold, by the way, I think it's one of the great spy movies of all time with uh, Richard Burton and Oscar Werner. And on, on the uh, other hand, this recent sort of non-event exposure yeah. uh, had overtones of Graham Greene's Our Man in Havana. Sure, it did. <laughs> Our Man in Havana, exactly. Uh, by the way, he's got another very interesting spy movie book called The Human Factor. Oh, uh, yeah, very underrated right. movie, by the way. 
Uh, and there were, of course, many great spy thrillers from the 70s and 60s that uh, capitalized on the mysterious aspects of microdots and invisible ink and swapping briefcases on escalators. And apparently these uh, Soviets were doing this, and I don't know what they were collecting. Uh, <laughs> It's probably nothing that couldn't have been gleaned from people's Facebook accounts. Yeah. <laughs> and the more I read about the, uh, the the spies during the KGB era was was how fascinating and how incompetent so many of them were. Mm. And in fact, I even wonder if uh, some of the intelligence was uh, actually di you know, partially disinformation or where spies are exaggerating what they're getting to satisfy Stalin. Right. It's fascinating, by the way, when Stalin was actually given uh, intelligence about the impending invasion of his country by Germany, he simply wrote English disinformation on the report and ignored it. <laughs> so sometimes the, the secret information that all these spies think they're uh, creating is it's never even used. Even when it's accurate. Well, and as we've seen, too, uh, the Bush administration's desire for information when no information that fit the agenda was forthcoming, you simply fictionalize it. Yeah. And, of course, the world of espionage is partly a dramatic uh, literary world. There are multiple identities. Uh, there's duplicity. It uh, takes on sort of Shakespearean overtones with tragic figures and you know, uh, wonder spies like the CIA's James Jesus Angleton, mm -hmm. where really, where does the line of insanity begin? Um, it's it's hard to tell. It's hard to tell. And of course, one, one of the, and I didn't bring this article in, but it sounds like one of the spies that America got in return was a legitimately high-ranking uh, KGB mole that we had working for us. So there's this sort of feigned outrage about, oh, well, the Soviets are spying on us. Well, yeah, Israel has been spying on us, too. And uh, they're our allies. And right? they're our allies. Um, <laughs> it makes you wonder, but uh, Whitaker Chambers has always uh, remained a kind of fascinating, bizarre figure in my mind because most of his spying was actually all this little courier work that he was doing scurrying around the united states spreading cash to various uh, people in san francisco washington baltimore new york city etc and uh, i was in a false pa passport ring um that uh, the soviets uh, did take advantage of one of the interesting things about this spy story was the fact that some of these soviet or excuse me russian quote-unquote agents um were uh, used American identities, uh, deceased people, uh, much as Whitaker Chambers did. So this, uh, rather than uh, e echoes of the Cold War, should maybe uh, allow us uh, Americans to re-examine some of the uh, spying that went on here in the United States under the uh, the brilliant work of J. Edgar Hoover, who I understand. Uh, a bunch of artifacts from J. Edgar Hoover have been donated to a museum in Washington. Oh, really? I saw a picture, a picture of the phone that J. Edgar Hoover owned or used. And uh, it's interesting that uh, Hoover uh, kept a, uh, quote, personal and confidential file on the Hiss case uh, that was uh, supposedly destroyed by um, Clyde Tolson, his uh, boyfriend, Shortly after Robin he, to his Batman, he died, uh, and there are even speculative reports that the ubiquitous E. Howard Hunt uh, put some poison in J. Edgar Hoover's 
face cream. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Who knows? A man of strange routines, uh, J. Edgar Hoover. And, uh, Who died on May 1st, and they, uh, they, they realized that that was May Day. And they said, we can't allow J. Edgar Hoover to die on May 1st. It's got to be May 2nd. He's too great of a foe of the international <laughs> communist conspiracy. The In fact, he's largely responsible for the creation of the fiction yeah. of the international communist conspiracy. Now, of course, there was international espionage, and there were those who there were, sought there was to atomic pursue espionage, an agenda. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, but the extent to which the FBI devoted manpower to... Uh, investigating private citizens involved in simple discussion groups on college campuses about socialist perspectives or alternative approaches to uh, history. Uh, it really created this, you know, behemothic uh, monster of uh, the communist conspiracy. And, of course, J. Edgar Hoover famously turned the blind eye to uh, a lot of... Uh, organized crime shenanigans yeah and it, it's fascinating that internal fbi memos even demonstrate <laughs> that hoover knew that the fbi was the only thing keeping the communist party in business he said without the fbi showing up to the meetings and paying the dues the party would have would vanish <laughs> yes am amazing stuff but uh i i always appreciated mad magazine uh mad magazine's uh, spy versus spy um cartoons that i think uh properly uh, illustrated the uh, interesting collaborative uh, relationship between the KGB and the FBI. Uh, the idea that these uh, organizations were uh, at, each other th at each other's throats at all times, I think is a bit of a myth. Um, they, they actually collaborated on many things. And uh, this, of course, is why we have these trades. They sort of resemble sports trades. Indeed they do. <laughs> we give you 10 useless people who actually are maintaining uh, the housing market, apparently, in some of these suburbs. <laughs> in other words, the Soviet government's paying for these mortgages. Um, we, we give you 10 sleeper spies for apparently two real spies and two kind of questionable uh, cases that we can uh, maybe investigate further uh, in an upcoming show. Including one kind of beautiful woman. All oh, right. Course, she's getting Natasha. all Natasha. Right. <laughs> uh, so uh, how many draft picks we'll get out of this, of course, uh, remains to be seen. Uh, yeah. Or is James Trafficant, who uh, didn't make it onto the ballot in Ohio as an independent because he didn't get enough signatures, famously said of the uh, NAFTA free trade agreement, we're going to get a uh, couple of used Fords and three Mexican baseball players to be named later. <laughs> <laughs> James Trafficant, the man with the Captain Kangaroo hair and a real politician. He knew how to... When, as the saying goes, when 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 you when you're bought, you know, you stay bought. <laughs> he knew how to take that money under the table. That's right. Well, uh, Yazoo City Calling will be coming up shortly. Jerry Mack is en route, and so uh, keep it tuned right here to WCBN FM Ann Arbor. Gray Matters uh, can either continue for a few minutes, or we can shift gears into some. Uh, down home blues i got some uh, queued up and ready to go here but i did want to mention this uh item quickly because this is just silly and bizarre and yet we began the program today with the observation that sports 
as though although it's part of culture and entertainment is really a business. Uh, here we see that uh, Mickey is a class act as Disney aims to expand language schools uh, 